like, I don't even know how long it was, like six months ago, whatever, I got the only filler I've ever had in my face and I got it filled in right here. And it was magical. It was magical. First of all, it wasn't dark. I barely had to put on any makeup. It was like, puff, like, yeah, just, uh uh-huh, right under here. And then it dissolved and I was like, like, I've been so used to having dark circles around my, just like genetically around my eyes forever. And then they went, they were gone for like several months and I was just beside myself with excitement. And then it came back and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, Holy <laughs> shit, am I okay? Like I had forgotten. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, quarantine. Quarantine. Services. Yeah. Wait, so so does that mean that you got like needles like right under your eye? Like is that is that like needles? they put it they put it in the in the center of my eyeball and then they inject it and it squeezes no. down. No, it does. No, no, I know that's not how it works. (laughs) Okay. I know I won't watch medical videos, but I know that's not how it works. So actually, no, they put a little hole right here and they put a plastic tube called... A tube went through your eye? So they put a tube, they put put a little hole in here and then a little tube goes, the tube pushes into here and then it fills. It it does not hurt. Does not hurt. I feel like no. I I'm telling you. I was like, oh god, this is gonna really suck. Did not. Does it feel strange though, as you're sitting there realizing like you can't move because you have a tiny tube going halfway across your cheekbone and face? No, it felt like I was gonna finally not have dark circles under my eyes. That's what it felt like. (laughs) That was all I was thinking about. I was so excited. But I've never noticed dark circles under your eyes, anyways. Yeah, I don't know. They cover them heavily with. With magic makeup. Well, you know, the unfortunate thing about having a zit between your eyes is that, like, this is small compared to last night. You should have seen it last night. It was like a friend who showed up for dinner. If I try and, and cover this thing, showed up for dinner. <laughs> oh, he was like present and chatting. And like, if I try and cover this thing up, it's gonna, look, I'm gonna look like I have like a unicorn horn because it's just gonna keep piling all the concealer is just going to pile up. So I just have to leave the friend alone and eventually hope he'll leave. I know it's a bendy. You know, and those are very beautiful. They are very beautiful. But uh, it just from seeing my zit that's placed in the same area, Doesn't I don't work. think I can pull one off. No, yeah. it's just not. I don't, I don't wear the style, apparently. Kind of like I don't look cute in hats. It's just not a thing. It's okay. I've accepted it. <laughs> I don't look cute in hats. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. I wish I did. I still wear them, but it's not like, you know, like some girls have like the long hair. Like I would think I I like have long hair. I curl it. It's like, it would look cute in a hat. It's just, it's not, it's not like a bad look, but it's not cute. It's just like, "Eh." yeah, I feel like you have to, I feel like you have to be a small person to pull off hats. Like just like very, just like you need to shop in the junior section. I, I kind of agree with you. Although, like they're like really thin and kind of short and like yeah. dainty, and then they wear these big floppy hats and they look really cute. They look adorable. Oh my god! I tried wearing a big floppy hat. Mm. <laughs> I tried one on. I feel like you're just friend. too tall for a floppy hat. It was like I was trying to create my own zip code. <laughs> It's like it was like, why is she wearing an umbrella? It's super weird. Totally. It's uncute. I think that's why I found like my style that works is either like the ripped rocker look, like ripped jeans and like a black shirt or something. I can pull that off. I feel comfortable in that. Or like I think just I don't know. I'm very tomboyish. I'm not against dresses. I just don't love when I put them on, I feel like <laughs> but I'll still wear them. I don't know. I don't know. I I just feel strange. I feel like if you've ever watched the show, I always talk about the show. I love it. I watch it like religiously, even though it's not on anymore. Mom, which is this amazing show that has Alice and Janie and Anna Ferris in it. And they're both sober and it's like they're just just living life through sobriety. And the show kind of goes quickly, meaning it jumps ahead. Like I've in like a couple seasons of watching, I think you know, she went from like age 35 to 40, or Anna Ferris did. And so they're, they're trying to show you different points of sobriety. They show relapse. They show a lot of things and, and give it, I mean, give it like a, a really good space and understanding while still holding to the comedic value of the show. But also there, there's moments where like my husband and I would just cry at the end of it. But 
Alice and Janie is six feet tall and they just rip her for it. The whole show. It's so great. They're like so many jokes about her being an Amazon. And like, if you just get your like giraffe self out of my way, <laughs> I'm just like, this is how I feel. I'm not six feet, but I'm five, nine. I think I'm five, nine. My back is crooked. So sometimes I'm five, nine, sometimes I'm five, nine and a half. You oh never know. <laughs> oh my God. If it's a good day, I'm taller. But yeah, I'm like, I can so relate to this. I just feel like I'm in the way. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. not in I'm the so way. Sorry. Oh, thanks. Not in the I way. Take up some real estate though. I just saw a really distracting headline about um, this morning that monkeys steal coronavirus blood samples in India. Oh, dear God. So... I'm not sure how much of my history we've covered, but I had a traumatic incident at a young age with a monkey. What? Nothing happened hands-on, but it scared the crap out of me. I was at the San Diego Zoo, and I think I was three. I feel like I remember being three. And it was a baboon, which still a monkey to me. And I, it, I didn't do Baboons it. are big primates. They're very scary looking. I just think all monkeys are scary. That's just, that's my disclaimer. Sorry, I don't hate on monkeys, but actually, no, I shouldn't say that. I do. They scare me. And this thing, this this baboon came up and started like rattling his cage and screaming and throwing things. And it was just like he was having a moment. Looking back, he was having a moment, right? He was just being himself and it, it scared me. And so ever since then, I was convinced that, you know, monkeys are demonic. And then in fourth grade, I had a friend, I think her name was Pyle. She was so Her name beautiful. was what? Pyle. She was from India, P-A-Y-A-L. And P-A-Y-A-L. Okay. Pyle. That's how we pronounced it. And Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure that's how they pronounce it, but. Might not have been, but that's what my fourth grade memory re- recalls is that that's how we pronounced it. And she would go to India every year with her family to visit her extended family. And she comes back and she'd been gone for weeks. And we were like, Pyle, did you have fun? And she's like, yeah, a monkey bit me. And we were like, what? And she shows us her leg and she <laughs> it looks like a vampire bit her. Like, uh, Oh, yeah, I'm it sure. It was gnarly. And it, it was like it like cemented my like fear of monkeys. <laughs> I was like, I, t- I was like, what happened? Did you? do something. And I guess she, her parents had bought her a camera and the whole trip she was taking pictures and they run, you know, wild in the streets. These yeah. Yeah. In India. And, and she said she was just taking pictures and took a picture of this one and it ran up and bit her. And I was like, I told you they're evil little beings. And, um, so yeah, monkeys stealing coronavirus. Yeah. No, that just, it checks just, out for you. That checks out. We're just putting it right in that column of my belief system of monkeys are scary. Oh and God. not creatures I want to be in touch with at all. <laughs> I, I love the little monkeys. I, well, I saw we when we were in, we went to Africa for a honeymoon and we stayed in, in Zambia. We stayed at a hotel that had like packs of monkeys roaming wild and they were so cute. <gasps> it, it, but they it, were it, little. <gasps> no. I feel like. I feel you like know, you saw Wizard of Oz and like. Yes. Yes. Okay. So like, I feel like when they're looking at you, they have an agenda. Like they're like thinking, you're like, you're really smart. What are you about to do? Have you ever felt that way with a cat too? Disclaimer. I do like cats. I do like cats. But you know, know. cats look at you and they're like, I'm going to say most cats. I'm trying to think of an animal I'm really scared of because I'm not really scared of animals. Let me help you. A monkey. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of cockroaches. Because they fly and they're horrible. They are disgusting. Absolutely. Are we going insect or? But I, I'm just trying to think of no. Like I'm just trying to think. Just like at leave living creatures. I'm trying murder to murder hornets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a bummer. That's a real bummer. But like I'm not scared of bees. Like I don't run from bees. Like my husband called him out. Called him out. Oh no, we're gonna have to have Dak on the show now so he can defend himself. Oh, he can't but- defend himself. I have freaking stories of this of him just like Usain bolting out of the situation <laughs> before I even know what's happening. He is gone. He no. cannot come over to our, our new house then because we've got these gorgeous bright red like I don't know what, what the I bush love is. little bumblebees. 
bushes. It's so beautiful, but we have bees everywhere. And like, I'm normally terrified of them. It is great. They're, they're so needed. I'm normally actually pretty scared of bees because I've been stung and stepped on them and just weird things have happened. But I've learned to walk in and out of my house a deep breath and realizing they're doing a job. Well, I'm not saying I want to be stung by one. Yeah, no, insects. I'm afraid of insects. Uh, And not all insects. I can't think of an animal. I don't don't love adult possums. Baby possums are very cute. Adult possums, I don't love them. They're so amazing. They are so helpful to the environment. So helpful. Hmm. And they won't bite you. I'm not saying I... I'm just trying to think. I'm just... I'm not saying I don't... That I want to kill them. I I don't... (laughs) You know, after my experience with rats, I can say that I'm I'm not a not a huge fan. But so for anyone who's missed Ashley's rat story mm, yeah. from previous episodes, she had a rat infestation due to the is it from the citrus trees in your backyard? Yep. And when we say infestation, we mean a full blown takeover. Where full blown takeover because I tried to use non lethal traps and decided I was going to rehome them <laughs> and. Yes. Because I didn't want to kill them. Realize how quickly they multiplied. No, did not. It went from it went from a a <laughs> trying to be a rehabilitation center to a gas chamber real quick, real quick. It was it was, <laughs> it was a done deal. It was a she, done. It, it was I, bad. It was bad. I didn't. I wanted to rehome them. I was committed to literally driving them. <laughs> now that I say it, it's pretty funny. But I was just committed to these traps where they were going to crawl in and I was going to drive them away. Like literally, I was going to rehome every single one myself just so that we didn't have to kill them because I knew they were intelligent, sentient beings and I didn't want to kill them. And I'm telling you, it got so out of control so fast. First of all, they never went into these not lethal traps. I was like, oh, I guess they're really intelligent, sentient beings. And they like filled the space between in all the walls and the space in between the the top of the roof and my ceiling and my ki- my kids were like oh the rats and it was it was absolutely like i wanted every piece of me wanted to move out every part of me i don't even know why like if they had made it into the house i would have been out out. I went and looked at other rental properties. I was done. I was like, I can't do this. Oh my God. I remember, um, I was in a hateful mode. No, you, you were, you were struggling, but the thing is I would have been struggling as well. I think the way you handle it and, and the fact that you even had the thought that you were going to load them in your car and drive them to a new undisclosed location. Like I, uh, this, that's how much beyond. I tried. That's how much I tried. I really did not want to kill them, but it was, it was pretty terrible because <laughs> so I went like, I do not like, I do not want to hurt animals, period. End of story. Like it is just not who I am. I don't like it. I don't, we don't, I, I, you know, we, my kids, <laughs> my kids like pick up spiders and the take, we take your things outside. And yeah, some, uh, they pick up bees sometimes. I'm like, Ooh, okay. We got to talk about that. But so and so like I was adamant that we don't hurt these things. Like I was like, look, they're hungry. They're eating the citrus tree. They came into our house. Like they're looking for food and water. Like I don't want to, you know, like I don't want them in here, but I don't want to hurt them. <laughs> Whatever. Like I said, Jane Goodall. And, and by the end, I was laying in my bed with my husband and the exterminator had come and he had put traps, like gnarly traps all in the ceiling like, or not in the ceiling. Yeah, like in the ceiling, between the ceiling and the roof, everywhere in that crawl space. And at night, above our bed, we would hear snap. And then we would hear <laughs> fighting the trap and then clunk, die. Yeah, above my bed. And we would hear them scurry through the, it was, it was, I can't even tell you how just, it was, it was beyond. It was absolutely absolutely beyond. And I, I just, I would cry. I would just cry. It was like, oh, yeah. we are, I'm like, I'm going like, I don't, I don't know if there's a hell or not, but if there's a hell I'm going there, like, I don't know rat what's happening. Rat hell. Like I'm in, maybe I'm just in rat hell. And <laughs> it was pretty so, much. And my, my doc would just look at me like, Oh God, I'm in so like, he would just, cause he would know, like we would hear snap and then it would oh. happen. 
And he would just look at me knowing that I was about to lose my marbles, lose my marbles. It was, I think it was terrible. Even if you didn't like rats. Totally. It absolutely, that, that's, that's never something that you want to hear. Also something you never want to hear are rats in your house. And, and what was also oh. happening conversely, it wasn't just like, oh, I was hearing them in the walls. They were eating Struggling. your food, drinking your water. They were oh, peeing uh, all over all oh your stuff. Oh my God, stuff. we had like, to get rid of. Get rid. Yep, that's right. I of, forgot so about many that. things in your garage. Everything in our that- garage was destroyed. It was that that sent you. You were like, okay, I, now my home is actually becoming hazardous. Well, to I was my really afraid they were going to get in the house. They were. They right. never made it into the like house proper, and I was really afraid that they were going to get into the house. And I really would have left. I'm I, pleasantly surprised that they did not make it into the house, yeah. especially considering that it was like a full rat takeover. Like your oh, insulation full, was rat. Full, full takeover. Full takeover. Ashley for that about three week period. <laughs> was which felt like a lot longer i'm sure for you i feel like it's um was that pretty much either two things she was angry (laughs) and angry not taking it out on people just you could just tell she's just like livid like what the hell is going on with my life right now and then uh, catatonic as well yeah like sometimes i would just like i was like i need to disassociate in order to deal with my life (laughs) You just watch you glaze over yeah, and I just like over. leave you alone. Like yeah. everything. I, hi, I'm okay. dead inside. This is me. Dead <laughs> I'll inside. I'll see you when you come back. I kept joking. I was like, oh, Rat City? Oh, we're great. We're doing really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm That's super. Sweet. It's great. Rat City. Oh, you mean take me down to Rat City? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean my house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Thanks. <laughs> We are going to have a soundtrack come out of this podcast. I'm telling you, between everything that you've sang over the past, I knew I was going there next. (laughs) Oh my god, I don't even know what I don't even know what episodes we're on. We are on. I always have to double check. Ever since that one day that I messed up the episode number, I'm like, I have to double check. Okay, so this is episode number 55. Hello and welcome to the after the episode, and we are covering episodes. 53, which was the co-founders interview and episode 54, Caroline Strassen, both amazing episodes. I know we always say this episode is so amazing, but we really, each one is just so unique. And I, in particular, loved both of these episodes because the co-founders interview is just pure gold. I mean, pure, absolute gold hearing the three of you guys together. And then Caroline Strassen, is also pure gold. She's such a beautiful, intelligent, strong, amazing person. And just her story just blows my mind. Yeah. Her story was really incredible. And also I, I'm just, I was thinking the whole time, like what he must think of the whole thing. Like, you know, I I kept thinking like, he must be like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, don't be a jerk and Mm -hmm. you won't get a story written about you. Yeah. But let's start with co-founders because, ah, you guys. Okay. So the co-founders of Lion Rock are Ashley Loeb Blassengame, your lovely host, Peter Loeb, the CEO, and Ian Crabb, who is, he refers to himself as two different things, but I think he, on our website, he's the chief operating officer. Sometimes he says the CFO. He is chief awesome officer. Let's just put it that way. He gets things done. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he's iron. We call him. He's an. He does Iron Man's, and we call him Iron Crab because he is <laughs> the hardest working, toughest human being I have ever met. He really is, and like we have to give him a quick shout out because he. So Ian had an accident last year. Oh my god! He was splitting wood. He's chopping wood in his backyard. I mean, just really standard. He's very, he's just very handy. He's, he can pretty, he's that guy that can do like pretty much everything. He's like tech. He's like, Oh, play guitar. Yeah. I was in a band. Oh, make wine myself. Yeah. I can do that. Oh, build a chicken coop. Yeah. I can do that. Oh, you know, he's just like you, 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 the man of like a thousand talents. He really is. And so he's splitting wood and it was this perfect storm of an accident essentially that happened if he would have been leaning back one more inch then it would have missed his eye but essentially a piece of wood got lodged straight into his eye he had to go like to the emergency right room. into it yep oh god tore lost his-, his iris and corn uh, he lost the lens and right. iris the iris which the iris is responsible for the color of your eye right and, and then he lost the lens which is responsible for the 
seeing of your eye. Jeez. So and the fact that he like, kept his eyeball. Yeah, they that was, was a miracle. He's very lucky. Right, because he had how many surgeries just to save his eyeball? I don't even remember. I don't I mean, I know he had at least one that was like a repair. It was a retina oh, repair. Lord. Yeah. And and this entire time he was working. So yeah, he's probably missed like three days total of the whole accident. He just had another surgery where they put in a new lens and a replacement iris um, that was handmade. It's and, beautiful. Yeah, oh, it's really cool. And uh, just yeah, blows pretty, me away. Pretty incredible. So shout out to Ian because he just got that surgery and everything went really well. Mm-hmm. And now he, he didn't even have to match. take a Tylenol. Oh, that's amazing. Just amazing. So his eyes now match before he had, um, he had, a black. He had, had, he had no color in yeah, his eye. It's like a black hole. But I think, what did, what did he do right but after But he also couldn't see surgery? out of it. That's right. He couldn't see out of it, but he kept working, which would have, I'm trying to imagine, it would have made me feel dizzy, I'm sure, because yeah. all of a sudden you're only seeing out of one eye. But this man purchased a massage chair, I think it was. Yeah. He, so he, they did this. They did this surgery where they had to create it like a there was a bubble that had to stay in the front of his eye. And so he had to lay facing down. I'm probably getting the details wrong here, so forgive me. But um anyway, but he did have to lay facing down in order to keep the bubble in place or whatever. But this was like right after. And so he purchased a massage chair with the the hole for the face and had the computer under there and was working <laughs> that way. And we were like, what are you doing? Just Take the day off, you know, but no. And this is Ian. <laughs> yeah. And then yesterday, he so he had the surgery. I don't even know. It's Friday. So he had the surgery on Wednesday. And then yesterday, I was in meetings with him. And yeah. He's, he's like, I shows up. Yeah. Meanwhile, the rest I get a of headache. And- I'm like, no, help. <laughs> I have a headache. I need I'm a, on my girl time. I need morphine drip. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts everywhere. I fell down the stairs. Uh, falling down the stairs hurts. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any stairs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But the three of you guys together. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I was so excited for our listeners to hear you guys because what the chemistry that you three have, it's... You guys I mean, we've been dating a lot. Business. We've been dating a long time now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> It, it's, it was an incredible story and I've heard it before and I get to, you know, sit in meetings with you guys, but just hearing you guys say it again. And I had all these directives, right? Like I, I, as the producer, there's things you want to hear. And Ashley actually kind of runs away with interviews and does an incredible job. So I barely have to say or do anything. Let me just put it that way. This is the easiest producer job I will like ever have. I'm a hundred percent sure of that, but I have like things that I want to come out of an episode and I want you to like, cause I, if I know the person, especially I'm like, I really want to showcase the humor between you and you guys tell, like tell the funny spins and the funny like mess ups or, and they just covered it all. I mean, it was, I just sat back and was like, you know, along for the ride. And, and that's, I loved it because what happened to us this year as Lion Rock, and I, I hate to even say us because I, again, feel like I'm riding the three of your coattails because you guys put so much into this. And I came along at the perfect time when everybody was like, oh, telehealth is actually a really good thing. But you guys put so much into it. And then what happened this year, especially with, unfortunately, coronavirus happening, but then all of a sudden people started seeking treatment and came in. And so it was just this it looked like an overnight success. It literally <laughs> it was, looked like that. It was a 10-year overnight success. Yeah. It's been pretty wild. I, I I don't know. I don't know. It's been pretty it's been pretty crazy. We've just been like tripling in size every month. It's just wild. And everyone's like, Well, how did you do it? And you guys are like, uh, <laughs> uh blood, yeah. sweat, tears, thinking yeah. we were gonna close every single More year. Tears. Um, Lots, did we mention tears? And then I loved when Ian was talking about how, you know, him, it was him and Peter who had the idea and starting out. And then you had left the prosecutor's office, right? Or you were still public defender, public defender. I'm sorry. And (laughs) I wouldn't correct you, except it is a big difference. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly to the people involved in the situation. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you for the correction. And how they kept running into so many situations where they needed someone who was in recovery to tell them what the right thing was to do or the right thing was to say or talk someone down from the ledge on the phone. And and so then they're like, Ashley, please help us. We can't build a business well, I was, without you. I was really like, I don't want to be in the recovery field. That was my, you know, that was, of course, I was, I don't, I was like, I don't want to be in the recovery field. So I'm going to be in criminal law because that's so much better. And, uh, but I was like, I've spent so much time in treatment, like literally myself being there. I really don't, this is not something I want to do every day. And so I was doing a lot of like what I would call consulting, like giving them advice. And then, yeah. And then they were like, just, and and then I didn't want to do the criminal law thing. And so it just sort of came together right in the beginning. And I mean, there was barely a, like, I was like the first client. (laughs) I would like, like, it was just, I don't know. It's so funny. Um, But yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of funny, strange, serendipitous things that happened along the way that made it possible. And a lot of people that came in and helped and, you know, I don't know, it's just a, it was a, it's been a wild experience. So with as prevalent as telehealth and, you know, now everyone being on Zoom because of the necessity of it to do business, people are starting to see how it's possible and how you can make connections and how their treatment, therapy, meetings, whatever can be very effective. And I remember when I first came in, you and I were talking because you and I went to, oh gosh, symposium, West Coast Symposium. Oh yeah. On addictive disorders. Uh, Yeah. On addictive disorders. And there's a trade show floor whenever you go in there. And so we were walking around and I'm, you know, gathering things and talking to people. And I said something like, Oh, we should, you know, go just talk to people. Like, you know, I have, I have like a trade show kind of like sales talk to everybody background too. And so I'm like, Oh, I could totally do this for you. And you start laughing and you're like, I did this for years and basically almost got like ran out of the building. Like there were so like, not only were people like, uh, not interested, right? You you usually don't get people like personally attacking you or angry. And I remember being so shocked, like what, why? Like I, you know, online works, we see it every day and with, with people that are coming in for treatment at Lion Rock and, and I mean, I was shocked hearing that. And I thought, gosh, like, why would people be so adverse to that? But then learning the background, actually hearing a few things for myself where it was not a personal attack in any way, shape or form, but um, starting to hear other people's opinions outside of our company and or seeing it online. I don't know. Can you like give a little bit more insight into that? Because that's, that, that's so, to me, especially sitting here now, seeing the way everything has so drastically changed, even from March to now. It it blows me away. Yeah. So basically people felt that we were trying to steal clients from residential by offering something online, that we were offering them an easier, softer way, which alcoholics and you know, and addicts always look for the easier, softer way. And that now we were offering that to them. They felt that we were doing something illegal, which we weren't. It was like, I don't know, I think what I've seen over the years is that I, you know, I don't know how I, I, I think this is the case in most fields, but I know that in this field, it's pretty serious is like people want to do what has worked for them, what worked, and they don't want to change that because it worked. I don't want to mess with what works. I don't want to mess with the recipe. And we came in and we're like, yeah, like we could do this thing. We could reach people sooner. We could blah, 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 blah. And it was it felt very threatening it felt like we were going to screw something up it felt like we were coming in to hurt people take advantage of people like that was the response that we got from people and to some degree the treatment field has been wrought with people who do try to do that stuff so it's not totally like off the wall that that would happen i mean there have been a lot of people come in and take advantage of the sick and the suffering so I, I guess on that plane, I don't blame them for that being a thought. Where I was confused is that I have, these were people I knew for years who knew me, people who either saw me get sober, I got sober with, um, who I had friends of friends. Like I had a lot of ability to, 
have my reputation double checked on and um, that I was legit, that this was, that I was sober a long time, that I knew these people, these people knew me. And so what I thought, you know, was that the result of that, that the, that having these people know me or people uh, or friends of theirs know me would offer me some benefit of the doubt. Like we know Ashley, you know, she was involved in this program and this program and this program. She went to treatment with this person, this person, this, like whatever, like that, that would buy me some sort of benefit of the doubt. And it didn't, (laughs) I mean, maybe, maybe it bought me some that I don't know that I didn't see. Maybe it would have been worse, but it did not buy me the benefit of the doubt that I thought that I thought it should have. I know it was worse when Peter and Ian went in. So I do know that, you know, it probably bought me some, but I think maybe in some ways it was like the courtesy to listen to me. And I'm not even sure it was like the courtesy that my intentions were good or any of that. So that was really difficult. It was like, you feel like people know you and they, they understand and they know you're authentic and they know that you care. And then that belief, either they you find out they don't believe that through their actions or that it doesn't matter. And I had a hard time with that. It also was like my community. That was also the other piece where it was like with Peter and Ian, it wasn't their community. So it wasn't all the people they knew and all, you know, it wasn't. So for me, the rejection was also deeper in the sense like I was being rejected by my own community of sober and, you know, people who were trying to do to help and people I'd known a long time. I mean, I would go to conferences and I would see directors of programs that, you know, threw me out of programs when I was a teenager or saw me, you know, picked me up off the street in Arizona to bring me back to my, like, I mean, I'd be in a, a, you know, a suit and they would be in a suit and they would see me there and, you know, they had picked me up off the ground, hammered when I was 17 years old and dragged me into tree, you know, like crazy stuff, crazy, crazy stuff. I sat, (laughs) went to lunch with a guy who was the head of a program and I would end up in it. He was, I would end up in his office in trouble for something like weekly. And I remember the last couple of times he was like, Loeb, Loeb, you have got to pull it together. And like, we would just have these conversations and there were like, I mean, we had some funny moments too of things I would get in trouble for that were just like asinine. And he and I would look and I would just, I just had these moments of, of, uh, (laughs) we had this, I'll just tell you this story. We had this, so his name is Dave and he was the head of this program I was at for 11 months when I was 17. And my best friend at the program, she had this like sex erotic book. I don't know. It was like erotic stories or something. And you weren't allowed to have any of that stuff. It was contraband. And I I had some job. I I, I was I had some access to a room where she had she, and she was such a goody two shoes. It was like painful. And so she was like, she was like, she like turned herself in or whatever, gave this book to them. And I, which I was like, wow, really? Like and uh, and so I was in an office and they had the book, like it was in a line of books, like someone had the contraband and I took it and we had it in in my apartment, like little casita, they were called, um, with a bunch of the girls that I was there. And she, <laughs> she found out that I had taken it and that it was in our casita and she made me go with her to Dave's office. He's the head of this program. Like he's basically the CEO and, (laughs) and sit down and confess. Right. So meanwhile, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing ever. I have no interest in confessing. I don't think there's anything wrong. Like, I'm like, I'm here like, cause I was doing heavy duty drugs. You want to talk about some like dumbass erotic book you have? Like, okay, whatever. I'll go with you. So we go into the office and he, you know, takes one look at her and she's like queen, like treatment, you know, role model, whatever, perfect treatment student. And I'm whatever the opposite is. And, <laughs> and, uh, and we go into his office. So he takes a look at the both of us and is like, what the hell? And she sits down, she has the book in her hand and I'm like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. And she starts telling him like, I brought this book, but I gave it to staff and they had it here and Ashley took it and she had it in her casita with her friends and blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting in a different chair. I'm not saying anything. 
And uh, he looks over at me and he goes, Loeb, what is this? And I like, she wanted to come and confess this stuff with you. I don't really see what the big deal is. And he, he looks at Serena and he goes, just throw the book away. And, uh, <laughs> and I just start laughing. And so anyway, we had these like, like, this like awkward, like where you're just like, you feel like you're having a, like a sex conversation with your dad, right? You're just like, no, no, make it stop. And, oh, uh, yeah. Completely unnecessarily, in my opinion, it was completely unnecessary. And he acted like it was, he was like, what are you doing here? Like, this is stupid. Just throw the book away. Like, it's just not a big deal. And I'm like, see, fucking told you. And (laughs) I'm like, this is not a big deal. And uh, so anyway, I mean, like this was, I was there for almost a year. Like he had conversations where I was like, I got in trouble for hooking up with people and I'd end up in his office and he'd be talking to me and I'd be like, oh my God, this is so bad. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, don't laugh. Don't awkwardly laugh. And so anyway, I'm in a suit. He's in a suit and we're at these conferences and I see him and we go to lunch and like talk as, prof- you know, just stuff like that where you're just like, oh my God, oh my God. And so that kind of stuff, like this was a community I knew really, really well really well. Okay. And a lot of the people I went to treatment with, they had their own programs. I knew this community really well. And so there was a rejection factor of like being rejected by my own. And that was very, very difficult to swallow. That piece was very difficult for me to swallow. I can't even imagine. I mean, that must have, I I can, that'd be for me, like being rejected by the dance community. Right. You know, that's right. It, it just, it would be devastating. It'd be absolutely devastating. Like where, where do you go? This is kind of my support system. This is these are kind of my people. <laughs> right. There's exactly. no else to do. Exactly. So that was that was a big thing for me. It was like, and then I think Peter was just really, Peter felt like he he had, you know, paid for all the programs. And so, <laughs> so he had had a lot of interaction. You know, he had been on the other end of those phone calls. And so he had had a lot of interaction, a lot of experience, and then also with my aunt. And then, so there was, he, I think he also expected a warmer welcome, but he got an even colder shoulder because he isn't in recovery himself. So it was just a lot of BS. It was just a lot of BS. And I think the industry over the course of the past 10 years has changed dramatically in that a lot of the sleazy stuff is gone. Uh, Not all of it, but a lot of it was run out during the investigation, like the, you know, what do they say? The roosters came home to roost. What do they say? What's that say? I don't chickens. know actually. <laughs> I can't the, chick- the chickens came home to re- I don't, anyway, but um so there was a lot of stuff that that has been cleaned up since then. So it is different. And honestly, I just kind of detached from it too. I was like, okay, like that's not really my community. And oh, I just I can't even imagine that. Sort of like, you know, did my own thing. But now, you know. Now I'm getting a lot of those old phone calls. Now, I'm getting a lot of phone. Different. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of phone calls that have, uh, like, "Hey, remember me?" <laughs> You're like, "Yes, oh, I do. I do remember." Mm-hmm. From what I remember, in 2012, yeah. you specifically walked by me, flipped me the bird, spoke <laughs> to somebody about me behind my back. And also made me feel like complete trash. Yes. Good to hear from you. Great to what hear from you. What can I do for you now? Yeah. Are you looking for a job? Yeah. Are you looking for a job? <laughs> no. I mean, I've taken, I would say, 95% of the phone calls. And I've always been kind to the people that we talked to and the ones that I was like, look, I'm not taking this call. You know, I just, I was polite about it. Because I get it. And who knows when I would be on the other end of something like that. You know, I don't want to get so confident that to think that I would never do this. You know, I would never make that mistake as well. But yeah, it's been an interesting ride. And I've been super lucky to be able to do it with Peter and Ian. Um, You know, it's super fun to be able to work with my dad and spend that time with my dad, especially since I haven't lived at home since I was, you know, 15. And so like I literally, I I came home, well, I came home when I was 17 for two months and overdosed and that was it. So like, I'm not sure that counts. So I haven't, you know, I haven't lived in the Bay Area with him in that time. So it's like an opportunity for us to spend time together and, you know, whatever. So like, that's cool. And, and we work very, very well together. And, and then Ian, you know, has, his such a heart, like his work ethic is 
so amazing and his perspective and his quant. And so having the the combination of the three of us, we all have very different talents. And so what's been cool is the ability for each of us to have our own space. There isn't a lot of crossover. And so we we don't step on each other's toes a lot. It's actually, it's interesting. It's changing a little bit now that we have to be like more executives now. Like, right. Because our roles are now we now we're much more like into the executive role. Whereas before we were like, you know, the cook, the chef, the, <laughs> you know, the manager, the phone assistant and right. the CEO, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, there was, there were, there were, you know, I mean, Peter would, you know, they would do tech support, also fundraise, you know, just stuff. Right. Like, it was like, you know, we're a small company. And so now that that's changing and that we are, you know, being pushed up and pushing responsibilities down. It is, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting how many meetings I found myself. I'm like, what am I, what do I do here? Just meet with people? Like, just talk to people? Is that, is that my job? The meeting queen. Yeah. Like, oh God. Um, and I always feel so bad whenever I request another meeting from the three of you. I'm like, can I meet with you to talk about? No, story? I mean, it's part it's of our, schedule. it's our job. That was never what my job looked like. It right. Wasn't, it was in the trenches. Right. For so long. It, like it didn't I matter mean, what our titles were that we, even when my title was, you know, even when I came in and was like community coordinator, whatever the hell the title was, I was still like making business decisions with everybody, you know, like it didn't matter whether my title was big or small. Like it could have been small and I was making big decisions. It could have been big and I was making small decisions. Like it doesn't, it didn't matter. And so actually some of the biggest changes are the change of the job. And like I I handpicked all of our counselors. Like I handpicked all of our admissions people. I don't even know our, like I don't know all the counselors anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, that must be a, a very, a very unique and different perspective now being like, oh, well, okay. There's, yeah. I'm like, joy. It, yeah. On. And they're like, oh, so great to be here. I'm like, uh, yeah. Because before what you were, you, you were handpicking. So meaning you were I was training work. them. I was hand interviewing, onboarding, creating their accounts, training them, talking to them. Like, I mean the whole thing. Right. And same with, and so it's just been this crazy. So it's just a different. Ex- and admissions, which, which now I think it's like a nine person department to do all that. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that's <laughs> not my job anymore. But you've built this incredible company in, you know, and this incredible infrastructure and, it's enabled Lion Rock to be set up successfully. And now I think there's almost a hundred people that work here. If I'm not mistaken, I'm, I've lost count as well. It's If it's as not I, at a hundred, it's about to be. Right. And, and that to me, cause I think I came in, I came in a little over two years ago and it was 30, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like 30, 35. Cause I think by the time I started helping put people on the website, I was counting and we we had a meeting. I remember when we broke 40, we were like, Woo, there's a lot of people here. Mm-hmm. You know, on our on our Zoom staff meetings. Mm-hmm. What you guys have done, I can't even imagine the steps that it took and the path that you guys all had to take to get here. And the fact that you guys didn't give up. Now there are thousands of people that have come through the program and hold on to their recovery still. And we get to hear on the podcast, a lot of those people, we get to hear people behind the scenes, you know, who are emailing us confidentially and saying, thank you. And I'm kind of like, I'm just sitting here. <laughs> like I tell Peter all the time as well. And I tell Ashley, I'm like, I feel so bad that I'm like hearing all this great feedback. I feel like you guys need to be hearing it firsthand just because I get to like reap the benefit or reap the rewards of what you guys have built. I mean, we, did, just so we, didn't, we didn't build it by ourselves. You know, we hired people to help and, you know, we stayed the course and and I don't mean to diminish what we've done, but honestly, like we, so much of the work has been the work of the people who've been more and more on the front lines and had content. Like, I mean, really like it's been, it is, it is, you know, as Peter says, it is a team sport. Like we, each of us has not done any of this, could never have done it A, by ourselves or B, just even the three of us. Like we have had such amazing people be a part of the mission and be a part of the process. Like I, I, we would not have been able to do any of it without the people along the way. And, you know, that's been really cool. And it's, it's funny. I've read like, read books about um, entrepreneurs starting companies and, and, you know, what that feels like and different things. And what's interesting is, you know, it feels to me kind of like 
when you, uh, when I graduated college, I did, <laughs> took me forever because I hadn't finished high school. So I had to do so much stuff to make, you know, get the minimum amount of requirements and test into things and what have you when I got to college, when I was in college, because I went to college before graduating high school. I graduated high school in the middle of college. Don't ask. And uh, I remember graduating college and, and thinking to myself, like, it's just an accumulation of days. Like it was, it, it from the outside, it looks like this huge accomplishment, but really it was just showing up every day and doing the work every day. Like it, it it's a weird phenomenon. It's, it's like, it's, it, to me, it's, 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 it's days together, not this huge accomplishment. It was like just showing up every single day and those days, you know, and it's kind of the same with sobriety. I mean, I suppose it's the same with anything in life where it's like, you just show up and put in some amount of effort every single day and eventually something turns into something and eventually it turns into something, whether that's, you know, 14 years of sobriety or whether that's parenthood or whether that's a degree or whatever it is. And I've learned that like, all big projects or all big accomplishments are simply the aggregate of showing up every day. And at the end, you look at it like, this is, wow, look what we did. But I mean, as you're going along, it's like, I just showed up every day and it got a little bigger and a little better every day. And that's kind of the thing with Lion Rock. It's like, we hired like, I mean, I was going to say we hired one person at a time. That's not totally true. But, you know, we we did hire like five, six, eight people at a time at certain times. But for the most part, it was like, oh yeah. And then we had CK, you know, then we hired you and then we hired, you know, someone else. And then we, so like for me, my experience, like the experience of living it is like, and then we got CK and then we started doing more and then we got da da da. And then we started doing more. And it's like, it's not like an explosion. It's just a life. Like, like you corresponded to a time in my life, like you came on in a time in my life and then I got an office because my kids were really little. And so like, you know, like, like it's, 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 it's a part of my life. It's not even something I've done. It's every day, just, you know, what I do. It's weird. It's weird. There, there's something so beautiful about what you're saying, you know, and it's such a great reminder that really, truly the biggest step forward that you can make is just staying the course and staying the course oh, yeah. daily and focusing on that. Because before I came here, I mean, I I had a, like a little free, like freelance, I don't even want to say it's an agency, but you know, it, it's like a freelance marketing company, you know, where it's, I just was trying to build one and it's so gosh dang hard. You know, the first question whenever I started interviewing people were like, well, you know, are you going to keep your company or what happened? And I'm like, it's just, it's, I don't know what else to say. It is really difficult. And I don't know if I was the right person to build that, you know, meaning like, am I the right person to be working and doing certain things? Yeah, I had my role, but was I the right person to like take it to the degree it needed to be taken to, or maybe it wasn't the right time or whatever else. It was really difficult. I had so many days where it was like, you're wondering if the money's going to come down and then you're breaking down because somebody owes you a thousand dollars. And that's a lot whenever you're a startup. And, you know, it just, it's the entrepreneurial journey is just this roller coaster of emotions and you have to celebrate all these things. And so just the fact that you can get it to the point where that's why there's three of us. That's why there's three of us. Exactly. Because there were days where Ian was like, because Ian would stare at the bank account and I swear he was going to have a nervous breakdown. And Peter would step in and say, I'm going to go fundraise and I can talk to investors and da, 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 da. Or there were days when they were like, why are we doing this? And I would say, hey, you know, this is a story of someone who got well doing our program and we can do this, this, and this. And I would present a different you know, idea or whatever. And that would bring, move us to the next day. One of us or two of us would help the third person, you know, get to the next place. And, you know, it it was rare when all three of us were struggling at the same time, you know, it was like one person would really need that lift or we would really need one of us to come up with a new idea. So I can't imagine starting something by myself. I think that that's been a huge lesson for me is watching like the value, you know, something that just having that founders podcast and talking about that and the three of us, like the value of that team is so huge for us. And, and it's an interesting, we're an interesting team, right? Because Peter's, you know, also my father and 
you know, he, so we each have different relationships. Ian knew me as a teenager, like a f***ed up teenager, no less. That's why, that's why I was laughing. I was like, so you thought it was a great idea to, you know, go into business with me, you know? So Ian and I have our own relationship where, you know, we're closer in age than Ian is to my dad. And so we have our own kind of relationship. We're both younger. We both have young kids, you know, that kind of thing. Like, that and then Peter and Ian have their relationship, and then Peter and I have our relationship, and so we have these different dynamics. And sometimes those dynamics have been difficult. We have, you know, there have been there have been difficult times. There have been times where I think all three, I think everyone but Peter, I think both Ian and I have at times where like Fuck this. But I, you know, I, I do think that having like having the ability to move through conflict and to work together and be a team. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess it's funny, like it's easy for other people to look at, I, I do it with other companies. You look at a story or a business or, or, you know, something as the, the accumulation of what it's become. And I look at it as, as 10 years of my life, you know, as like when I got married and we had to figure out how like, Peter was going to be able to take time off for my wedding too. And Ian, and then I went away for a month and Lion Rock, I got to take some time off Lion Rock for the first time. And I don't even know how long I got to take a real vacation. And then when I had my kids and what was going on with Lion Rock at the time, and then like the early days where I was like, I don't know if I can sustain this making literally almost no money and, you know, training people at the house. And, you know, so it's, it's like, the company and my life have been so intertwined because of my role in it that it's a very different experience. And I think that'll be really interesting in terms of like, if we ever sell the company, hopefully. And, and uh, you know, I don't know that I'll be able to, I don't know, you know, who knows what'll happen, but like, I think it would be very difficult for me to be at a company that, you know, we started that, you know, is now owned by other people. And like, I think I would, how that would happen. And maybe I'd need a new journey at that point because it's so inextricably linked to what it meant. And now it means something different. So I think, I don't know. I just think it's a, it's a really interesting journey. And I'm really glad that it's, I'm really, really glad that it's working out for like a 10,000 different reasons. And just really grateful that I've been able to have the team that I have because I'm. T- I, it really is a team. I'm not just saying that to sound like some sort of you know humble brag or whatever. Like really, it's a team sport for real. <laughs> like just not some, not something you can do by yourself. You guys are all three incredible leaders, and I've never in my life worked at a company where collectively as a group. I mean, I can't speak for the brand new staff that I haven't met yet because there's new people coming on every week, but collectively as a group, just how much we all adore you three and appreciate everything you've put into the company before we all came on and and then also continuously on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you guys are all as available as you possibly can be, you know, and and have outside lives and other things going on and and just the the passion what I've always learned as I've worked for different companies in different places is that the passion and the feel of a place comes from the top down every single darn time every single time and really truly I think it's been so easy to grab onto the passion and learn and want to grow and want to just run for it as fast as we possibly can because of what the three of you guys do on a daily basis. So we oh, just really honor you. that and, and appreciate the three of you. Big shout outs to Peter and Ian as well, if you guys are listening. We should probably jump to Caroline's episode, even though I want to keep talking about the co-founders episode because it was just so much gold. But Caroline... I mean, we'd be remiss to not mention her as well. I mean, what did you get out of her episode? Oh my God. I got so much. I just love talking to her. Besides, um, I was going to say the fact that her English accent oh my is God, it just captivating. Just made it that much better. I was really impressed by her recovery in a lot of ways. Um, but one of the things that really stuck out to me was her relationship with her children and how she has... So she's taken this marriage, right, that fell apart that was horrendous experience for her. But And she wrote a book about it and she coaches. But the man that caused all that pain is the father of her children. And now it's a public story 
And it's a story that she talks about and uses as a platform to help other women and their abusers. But her children are of age where they understand all of that. And I thought it was so fascinating to hear about how she parents in light of all those things and how she's able to let them have their own experience, finds ways not to speak, you know, poorly about their dad and, you know, just like the emotional, I I mean, I'm looking at it from the perspective of a mom. So I suppose that's why that struck me, but, um, the, the emotional support that she provides for her children in light of what happened because they, you know, experienced it too. And her ability to, you know, find herself an apartment, just like, you know, people's ability. We, we've heard it in the gambling, you know, with the the wives that were married to gamblers. We've heard it, we, like, we've heard it in all these circumstances where people just find ways to survive and thrive. And I've been, I was really impressed with her ability to do that and to keep things, you know, relatively calm and consistent for her children in light of her entire life falling apart. Because when I'm thinking about myself in that situation and I'm thinking about my kids and blah, 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 blah. And I, oh my God, like, I don't know how you manage to, I can see suppressing and then not dealing, right? Like I can get, I get that. But how she did the combination of not suppressing, but managing her feelings, also dealing with them, but also not putting that on her kids in a way that was damaging as much as possible, like to damage them. I thought that was really cool. And I just love that she, you know, uses that experience to help other women. She uh, seems to really, what the other piece was that she really knows her shit. Like she is really educated on the processes that go on with the narcissistic abuse, really educated around um, hypnosis and therapy and coaching. And I just felt like she backed up all of her experience with a lot of really valuable knowledge and training. Yeah. She is incredible. I think I would agree with you in the fact that what I was the most struck with was the fact that she's able to have a platform despite the fact that she, I'm I'm sure this ex-husband came after her in some way, shape or form. And let me tell you from understanding, not on a, like a clinical level, you know, I'm, I'm attempting that right now to understand that, but narcissists, what I do know about them is they will launch what, what's called a smear campaign. I think she might've even talked about this against you. And I can tell you from experience that it is relentless. relentless. Oh, I can't even imagine. They will come after every, every, they, they somehow find and know every weakness, every weak point, and they will not let up. It's like this, you know, like a toddler has unending energy. A narcissist has unending energy to smear other people. It doesn't stop. Like if, if I get angry at somebody, it honestly like dissipates after a certain amount of time. And I'm just like, Oh God, I'm exhausted. I can't carry this. And I'm like, trying to make up and and make the situation better, just forgive him, give him great, whatever, you know, whatever it takes to take this burden off my back because I can't carry this. This is exhausting. A narcissist doesn't have that. A narcissist lacks that empathy. And I'm not going to explain it as well as she obviously did. Please listen to episode 54. It's so informative and it just, you walk away so much more educated, but I just can only imagine what she went through. And then the fact that despite that ongoing smear campaign that she was still able, just like you said, to have that perspective of letting her kids have their own experience. I mean, this woman is just a powerhouse. I, I, I would hope that other people would be able to do the same thing, but I'm telling you the amount of bitterness that comes from being smeared by a narcissist. It's just, it's difficult. It's really difficult, you know, and she's, she's so strong and I'm sure her kids are just, amazing people as well, you know, just to have a mom like that to, to emulate. Yeah. And she, she just had a lot of great knowledge. I, I, she has a web, she wrote the book, Divorce is My Superpower, but I know she also does coaching and different things. And she's definitely worth checking out online if you get a chance, because she's doing a lot of interesting stuff and just really felt knowledgeable in her arena. And you found her, I think on LinkedIn. That's how you contacted her. 
her. I did. And I mean, she's all the way in the UK and, you know, agreed to do this interview with us and was just, oh gosh, she's just lovely. Just so lovely. As soon as you talk to her, you're like, I love you. <laughs> totally. So she makes she's you want to hug. Yes. Yes, she does. That's her vibe. And it's so authentic and genuine. And yeah, her check out her website and her LinkedIn. We'll put it in the show notes. And we have it in the show notes for episode 54 as well. And I mean, man, like talk about somebody that's overcome some gnarly stuff. And and even even in the beginning with like her um, her miscarriages as well, she talks yeah. about that and, and how painful that was and just that whole process and how she was just very alone through that. You know, wow, just she's so resilient. She's definitely somebody you want to listen to what she's telling you because she's walked through this herself. For sure. All right. Well, great. Anything else? No. All righty. Well, we're not, we're not digressing into a spiral of laughter at the end of the episode. I know. Just like we did the last couple of times. I'm like expecting it and it's not happening. I'm like, okay, we won't create it. Cool. Well, I absolutely adore you. And thank you so much for sharing you and Peter and Ian's story in episode 53 and giving us more insight into that. Of course. Um, I adore you. So much love. Love that. We adore our listeners too. Um, also, if you would like to request that Ashley sings you a song, mm. please email us at podcast at linerockrecovery.com. If you would like to hear a specific song being sang by Ashley Lowe Blassingame herself, we will do it. Well, I shouldn't say we. She will do it. So please email us because we want to hear from you. Yeah, if you desperately want a song that's sung out of tone, out of tune. I can't even say the word. Tune. 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 Tune in next week for another awesome episode. Thank you guys so much. This podcast is sponsored by Lion Rock Recovery. Lion Rock provides online substance abuse counseling where clients can get help from the privacy of their own home. They are accredited by the Joint Commission and sessions are private, affordable, and user-friendly. Call their free helpline at 800 800- Two five eight six five five zero, or visit www.lionrockrecovery.com for more information. 